Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Blue Cliff Record, Case 71. Gohos, shut up. Main subject. Yakujo said to Goho, with your mouth and lips closed, how would you say it? Goho said, Osho, you should shut up. Yakujo said, in the distant land where no one stirs, I shall shade my eyes with my hand and watch for you. Secho's verse. Osho, you should shut up. He watches the strategy on the battle lines. His counterattack brings to mind a great general. Over the myriad mile horizon, a lone kingfisher soars. Good afternoon. So this session, marks Hoenji's 24th anniversary in what I still think of as our new home at the intersection of Onondaga Creek and Seneca Turnpike. On land borrowed from the Haudenosaunee, the Six Nations. Our Sangha goes back to 1972-73 when Edo Shimano Roshi visited Syracuse University and gave the small room being used for Zazen the name Hoen Zendo. Later on, we practiced in my attic for 12 years. And periodically, 
your own Chico Maureen Stewart would come from Cambridge Buddhist Association and lead us in session. I collected and edited the talks she gave here at CBA and on the West Coast and brought out the book, Subtle Sound, the Zen Teachings of Maureen Stewart. In one of the talks given <clears throat> in our attic Zendo, she quoted from case four of the Book of Equanimity. The Buddha, while out walking one day, stopped and pointed and said, this is a wonderful spot to build a temple. A bodhisattva stepped forward, placed a flower on that spot, and said, I have just built a beautiful temple. Maureen told us, the top of this house in Syracuse is a wonderful place to have a temple. But where is the most wonderful spot to build a temple? It is in each one of us. The Bodhisattva placing a flower on that spot is a Bodhisattva placing a flower in our hearts. Each one of us sitting on our cushions is building beautiful temple, wherever we are, is a wonderful place to build a temple. Nevertheless, Maureen encouraged us to build a temple for Hoen Zendo that would accommodate more people and more practice. She passed away in 1990, but I know she would have loved the spot we found. We had our formal opening here on October 18th. 1996. Maureen and I met each other when we were both students at New York Zendo Shoboji in 1970. We had sat together for some time before we actually 
spoke to each other. And later that year, she and her husband, Ozzy Friedgood, and their children moved to Boston. And some years afterward, she was asked to be the teacher at the Cambridge Buddhist Association by Elsie Mitchell, who with her husband, John, and D.T. Suzuki, and Shinichi Izamatsu, and several others had founded CBA in 1957. In 1959, after spending time in Japan, the Mitchells brought out one of the first audio compilations of Zen chants, the two record set called The Way of Eheji. Zen Buddhist ceremony. It was an amazing thing to hear all the way back then. And her book, Sun Buddhas, Moon Buddhas, was published in 1973. The Cambridge Buddhist Association is also where I first met Dokoro Osho after he became abbot there. Mrs. Mitchell died October 17th, 2011. So we are commemorating her too this session. And I'd like to offer a third commemoration. This one to my uncle Bernard Saul Cohen, who died two weeks ago on October 12th after a long struggle with Parkinson's. October 12th is an unforgettable date for Hoenji. That's when a fire destroyed this Zendo. Just after we had finished renovating it. It was 1998, a few days before my transmission ceremony. And of course, we restored it the following year. So my uncle Bernie, he was nine years older than I. So he was really like a big brother 
after my father, his brother, Leonard Cohen Corlin was killed fighting the Nazis just before the end of World War II. My uncle went on to become highly regarded lawyer. He wrote the first textbook on environmental law. He represented Christmas tree farmers whose entire crop was destroyed by acid rain, winning a lawsuit that forced nearby power plants to curtail their pollution. He served in the Virginia House of Delegates where he brought legislation that restricted smoking in that tobacco state. But he was best known for the loving case. which he took when he was a young volunteer at the American Civil Liberties Union in June 1963 at the request of Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. Some of you have seen the film or the documentary, so you know that Mildred and Richard Loving had been found guilty of violating Virginia's Racial Integrity Act. My uncle and his co-counsel took the case all the way to the Supreme Court and in a landmark unanimous ruling in 1967, the court found that laws banning interracial marriage were unconstitutional. So in 2011, the same year Mrs. Mitchell passed away, HBO made a documentary film about my uncle and that case called The Loving Story. And five years later, a feature film came out called Loving. When he received a Distinguished Service Award from the Virginia Trial Lawyers Association, my uncle spoke of his concern that the law was being, quote, driven 
by centers of economic and financial power. If the courts are not available for the average person to seek justice, he said, then the average person will not receive justice. His concern for justice and his esteem for the law were in keeping with his commitment to Judaism's principle of tikkun olam, to heal and repair the world. Now, as you know, one of the definitions of dharma is law. When we do our utmost to live harmoniously, aware of the interdependence of all life, we are living within the law of Dharma. Yet, I'm here to tell you that old habits die hard. We may, from time to time, find ourselves thrown off course, swayed by upsetting circumstances, people we're worried about, by our need to protect our perceived ego entities, separate identities. And this is what is meant by practice, right? We see these habits as the illusions they are. We see through them again and again. When we realize that we've been swept away by emotional reactivity, we can stop right there and say, oh, I recognize you, and I'm letting you go. Long exhalation. No pursuit is necessary. not clinging to fixed ideas about our circumstances, we can return 
to our original freedom in this very breath. And how much more helpful we can be when we see these entanglements for what they are. And find release. And remember the good news. It's because we are human beings who have suffered from our own attachments that we can feel compassion for those irritating folks who are stuck in the repetitive bouts of greed, anger, and ignorance known as samsara. Have you noticed that sometimes it's easier to see it in others than in yourselves? Of course. But then we have to remember to ask ourselves, who are those others? None but ourselves in different garb. But the welling up of compassion that happens with this recognition, harmony can be restored. in our relationships, within ourselves, and I dare say, within a nation. In the Dhammapada, chapter 19, the Buddha spoke of the person established in Dharma. He said, Dharma is not upheld by talking about it. Dharma is upheld by living in harmony with it. He also said, shaving one's head cannot make a monastic of one who is undisciplined, untruthful, and driven by selfish desires. One who has extinguished all selfish desires, large and small, is a true monastic. Of course, for 
monastic and lay practitioners alike. It's the extinguishing of selfish desires that brings true happiness. Otherwise, we just go round and round from attachment to attachment. Hyakujo Ekai Zenji, who lived from 720 to 814, is a shining example of true monastic, true harmony, true upholding the law of Dharma. Most of you know the koan, Yakujo and the Fox, in which he told an old man who had been condemned to 500 lifetimes as a fox, an enlightened person does not ignore the law of causation. Freedom is not found in some imagined place out there, but right within the law itself. Now we heard about Hyakujo and Isan in Dokoro's beautiful talk yesterday. Yakujo received transmission from Baso Doitsu. And among his many heirs was Obaku Kiyun, whose successor was Rinzai Gigan. Yakujo developed the Zen monastic procedures or laws of the community that we still follow today based on Zazen, Samu work, and Sutra chanting. He called his regulations the pure rules for Zen gardens. So here we are, monastics and lay men and women alike. We are all trees in a Zen garden. 
our golden leaves floating down to nourish the ground and to mark the spot for a temple. Hyokujo's famous maxim was, a day without work is a day without eating. To be diligent and attentive in everything we do. We need to get out of our own way and become one with whatever the task is. Cooking, sweeping, washing up, folding laundry. With no self-consciousness, no preference. There's simply zazen mind Stillness in motion, freedom within and without. This is living in harmony. Today's koan, case 71 of the Blue Cliff Record is the middle one of three related cases in which Hyakujo uses the same words to challenge his disciples, Isan, Reyu, Goho, Jokan, and Ungan, Donjo. Some of you may remember Case 70, which I spoke about the last time we were able to do session in person at Hoenji. How many of you were here? It was January 25th, the Lunar New Year. we were keenly aware of ongoing political and environmental crises. But little did we know what was in store for us, this monkey year. In each of these three cases, 70, today 71, and next time 72, Yakujo asks, <clears throat> with your mouth and lips closed, how would you say it?
many a koan revolves around this point. Just a few from the gateless barrier, Bumon Khan, case 14. Say a word and I will save the cat. Case 20. It is not the tongue with which he speaks. Case 24. Both speech and silence are faulty. Case 32. I do not ask for words. I do not ask for non-words. And what did Toksan say? <clears throat> 30 blows if you can speak. 30 blows if you cannot speak. So what about in our lives? Things challenge us, right? People challenge us. Situations challenge us. Have you ever noticed how many people don't do what you think they should do when you think they should do it? Just remember, after you die, they'll probably do it. No problem. So what do we do when we're faced with these various challenges? We feel we have to figure them out, get some answer, resolve them better. So we're so accustomed to turning to Google. What's it all about? Oh, there must be an answer in there. Or some of us still have books. Let's open it and find out what that teacher of old said. Seeking someone else's answers. But we know the difference between that kind of thing and the kind of genuine response that wells up from within. One that meets the situation wholeheartedly, that comes from our own lived experience not just from some concept or some theoretical formulation. You know, all our erudition our layering upon layering of facts 
just like Kyogen's at the beginning of yesterday's koan, is of no use whatsoever. If it's merely a parroting, an imitation of someone else's understanding. We've got to make it real as the old jazz song goes. Compared to what? We've got to show it. Express it vividly. So remember back to January 25th, K70, when Yaku Joe demands, How would you say it? Isan replies, I would ask you to say it. He lobs the ball right back at his teacher. He's not asking for a handout, all right? He's confronting Hyakujo with Hyakujo directly. With your lips and mouth closed, say it. I would ask you to say it. And Yakujo replies, I could say it, but if I did, I fear I would have no successors. Do you remember what Isan told Kyogen yesterday? What I might say would merely be my own understanding. How could it be of benefit to you? So today's case, Hyakujo now turns to Goho asks the same question. With your mouth shut, speak. Without any intellectualizing about it, how do you express it? And Goho retorts, Osho! You should shut up. Now, maybe to some of you, this may seem rude. Hmm? Yes? You don't usually go around telling me to shut up. But try it sometime. Remember that <clears throat> Zen confrontations are not 
conventional exchanges. Within the context of the particular words, the response, they directly express the universal. Even we might say, how can this be spoken about? How can it be said? To ask the question, as Yakujo did, is giving too much away. So, in his splendidly free and vigorous reply, you should shut up. Goho matches his teacher. He upholds what his teacher has just said. And he holds fast. Then Yakujo gives this poetic response. In the distant land where no one stirs, I shall shade my eyes with my hand and watch for you. Seems that he admires Goho's commanding counterattack. Shut up. In vast emptiness, in utter silence, the unsayable has been directly conveyed. And this shut up resounds lifetime after lifetime. Just this absolute refusal, even prior to no, things as they are manifesting naturally, nothing lacking. Nothing superfluous. Hakuin commented on Goho's response. A breeze stirs below a cliff. A tiger plays with its cub.
And yet. Holding fast. Staying in the realm of absolute silence where no one stirs. What about this? Hyakujo says, he'll shade his eyes with his hand and watch for Goho. How beautiful an expression. Perhaps you can sense a feeling of longing on behalf of his student. At last, you'll come forth from your perfect samadhi. You'll come forth and you'll enter into ordinary life. The land of those seeking justice. The land of commerce and exploitation and lawsuits and you'll offer a flower to those suffering beings. Yakujo shading his eyes. I can almost see you on the far horizon. Secho's verse. Osho, you should shut up. First line is what Goho said. He watches the strategy on the battle lines. His counterattack brings to mind a great general over the myriad mile horizon, alone Kingfisher soars. So Secho is indeed admiring Goho's vigorous attack, coming from his keen attention to his teacher's strategy. With your lips and mouth closed, this strategy. What is a teacher's strategy? 
What is the greatest wish of every teacher? Hmm? For the student who awakens. For the student to live. And Secho compares Goho to a great general whose arrows never missed the target. But what do you think? Did Goho's arrow find its mark? Look at this last line. Over the myriad mile horizon, a lone kingfisher soars. Yakujo, still soaring. No arrow can pierce this great being from miles on high. He'll swoop down to the depths and return a fish in his sharp beak. Oh, go Watch out. Before we close this Teisho meeting, I want to Go back to what Maureen said. She is always with us. The Bodhisattva placing a flower on that spot is a Bodhisattva placing a flower in our hearts. Each one of us sitting on our cushions is building a beautiful temple. Happy anniversary, Hoenji. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.